0: Hi, Mom, and welcome to the Interesting Podcast, where we know a little about a lot. We're your hosts. I'm Annika,
1: And I'm your emotional basket case, Paige.
0: (laughs) It's been a day. I'm
1: in a glass case of emotion. How are you today, Paige? (laughs) I'm just great. How are you?
0: I'm fantastic. (laughs) I'm so happy to hear that. I'm so happy. My heart is so full. Oh, yeah. Your heart is full because my heart is full.
1: Exactly. I'm because all about sharing. All you really
0: care about is just making other people happy. <laughs> so, yeah. As long it's as I'm happy, me. you're happy, right? It's too real. <laughs> God. It was an emotional chat before we got into this. Yeah.
1: It's true. That's why my voice is kind of croaky. But you know what? I kind of like it. It's like a little like Phoebe season three friends, which
0: gets a cold. Yeah. And then who stole it from her? Monica. Monica stole it from her. <laughs> that bitch. She does. All right, well, we should probably not be doing a podcast on nuclear fallouts and probably do, like, some sexual podcast so you can use your new voice, but here we are.
1: Right, or I can just, like, I could probably do an entire podcast on, like, friends recaps.
0: I really could. Oh, my mother-in-law would so be into that.
1: See? Erin, you and I, we need to go to Friends Trivia Night. You can bring my
0: bra. (laughs) This just got so weird. It did. Just let it linger. Yeah. So today's topic, like I just said, is nuclear fallouts. How qualified are we to be talking about this? I mean, we could be the least qualified people on planet Earth. 100%. I never even took physics. Oh, I took physics. I did not do well in physics. But I took it. I took
1: Earth Science senior year of high school instead because, you know, know your strengths, know your weaknesses.
0: Yeah, I did physics my junior year, and then the choices of science classes my senior year were all in the AP level, or I could do astronomy. Ooh. I went with astronomy.
1: Yes, but anyways, back to (laughs) Nucleus. Yeah,
0: so uh, we probably should not be rambling as much as we are because this is going to be a long episode, so buckle up.
1: Yeah, don't at me with your I thought I told you no more long episodes. We haven't recorded in two weeks. You're going to be okay.
0: Push pause and just come back to it whenever you have a free second. You know that little button on your phone that has, (laughs) it's a circle and there's two vertical lines? Just tap that. And then we'll stop talking. Exactly. And then you pick up where you left off.
1: <laughs> Anyways, I'm done bitching about our listeners.
0: Thank you for listening. We love you guys. Yeah. <laughs> We're, again, in no position to lose listeners, so... <laughs> <laughs> listeners are Twitter followers. <laughs> Without further ado, we are going to go to our interest thing of the week, which is just me putting Paige in the hot seat and giving her... <laughs> National Geographic's nuclear energy quiz, part one. Woohoo. <laughs> okay, I, like, I just need to know. Mm-hmm. Like, you've, like, read through these questions
1: and seen the answers. Am I about to get my ass kicked?
0: No. There's only oh, five okay. questions, and I they kind of set it up for you to be like, okay, like, this probably is the answer. You're not going to feel, like, totally dumb. Okay. All right, question one. Nuclear power is produced by splitting uranium atoms. The heat from the chain reaction that follows then boils water, which powers turbines that create electricity. Burning coal does the same thing, but how much coal would you need to rival one pound of uranium in terms of energy production? 300 pounds? 1 million pounds? 2.5 million pounds? Or 3 million pounds?
1: I feel like this has to be like a dramatic question. So I'm going to go with 3 million pounds.
0: Yeah, you're right. See, this is what I mean. Ooh. It like kind of sets you up.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like you know that like they want your mind to be blown.
0: Yeah. So the electricity produced by one pound of uranium is equivalent to the power generated by roughly 3 million pounds of coal. So there we That's go. That's pretty
1: insane. And it uh, it burns much cleaner.
0: It there's no pollutants when you burn it the only pollutants that you get from nuclear energy is when they actually mine the uranium so exactly pretty cool huh next question goes into the two things that we're going to be talking about today so the international nuclear event scale rates nuclear accidents on a scale of zero to seven with zero meaning no safety significance and seven meaning major accident. How many accidents before the year 2011 have merited a seven rating? One, two, three, or five.
1: Before 2007?
0: Before 2011.
1: Before 2011. Probably just one because I did yours happen in 2011? Mine happened
0: in 2011, yep. Just the one. Yeah, just mine. Woo just chernobyl yeah so chernobyl happened in 1986 and uh then 2011 came around we had fukushima and that was also a level seven yeah yeah yeah. i wonder what they have
1: what is what was it like nine mile island the one on new york
0: three mile island in pennsylvania yeah that was a five
1: a five interesting Mm -hmm. okay
0: noted question three in the harsh winter of 2010 to 2011, France's need for heating was so great that all 58 of its nuclear reactors were hooked up to the electrical grid for the first time in six years. About what percentage of France's electricity is from nuclear power? 25%, 40%, 60%, or
1: 80%? I mean, again, I think they want this to be dramatic, dramatic so I'm going to say 25%. It's actually 80%. Oh, son of a bitch. First wrong answer.
0: That's okay. I got that one wrong too. Um, <laughs> but I mean, that's that's a significant amount of their energy comes from nuclear power. That's insane. That's a
1: ton of theirs. I don't even know what ours is. It can't be that much. Ours though. is
0: twenty percent. That's sad. But um,
1: it's like I get it. It's it. Nuclear power is such uh, a tough subject because it burns so clean and. Requires so much less, you know, maintenance. But if it goes bad, it goes so
0: bad. Horribly bad. Catastrophically bad. We'll get into that. Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole podcast on it. Listen up. Hey. Question four. What country opened the first civilian nuclear power plant in 1954? The United civilian States. Civilian nuclear power plant? Power plant? Yeah, I think what that means is like it powered electricity for civilians. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) No, just random civilians just like volunteered to run it. (laughs) Just Joe Blow in
1: his backyard with a nuclear power
0: plant. (laughs) That sounds like quite the Soviet Union thing to do, which actually is one of the (laughs) options. So we have Soviet Union, United Kingdom, France or United States. Uh, Soviet Union? Good job, Paige. (laughs)
1: I just know because of mine, it was like Chernobyl was powering like 300,000 people or something. I'll get into it.
0: (laughs) All right. And then final question. What country uses the most nuclear power? Russia, France, United States or China?
1: I'm going to say I'm going to say. France, 80 percent is a lot. I'm going to say France.
0: It's the United States. We use the most? Yeah. I think it's just like... So the US only... Like only 20% of the energy is nuclear power. But I think Mm -hmm. like when you scale it to France, like the size of France versus the size of the United Mm -hmm. States, we Mm -hmm. use the most nuclear power.
1: Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. Well, go us in that regard, I suppose.
0: Yeah. So pretty sweet. Anyway... (laughs) Thank you so much for playing. <laughs> that is, uh, you know, how qualified we are to be talking about this in a nutshell. And now's your time to back out. <laughs> but please don't. <laughs> It'll be fun. There's some fucked up shit we're going to talk about. So just like, yeah. please stay tuned. So um, I, that was kind of like a good background of nuclear energy. I don't know about you, Paige, I felt like a total dumbass when I was researching this because prior to this, I had no idea why nuclear energy was a thing.
1: Like, I knew that it burned cleaner, but that was about it. Like, I found my, I Googled, I was like, what's the difference between a nuclear bomb and a tonic bomb, a hydrogen bomb? Update, I still don't really know the answers to those questions, so don't ask me. Um, There's, like, nuclear fission, there's nuclear fusion. Like, it's, it's confusing.
0: I had to definitely dumb it down for me. So I kind of created a list of nuclear energy fast facts to kind of go through just sort of like the very, very basics of what this is. So you kind of know what we're talking about. And so we kind of know what we're talking about. So (laughs) nuclear energy is a form of thermal power. So it's heat energy that is converted into electric power. Um, So heat produced from nuclear power plant becomes electricity. So other types of thermal power include coal, solar, geothermal, waste incineration, and natural gas. The majority of those use fossil fuels. There are renewable energy sources that are on the rise. We've all heard of these, like wind, hydroelectric, wave. You get it. Mm -hmm. So as of 2014, the International Atomic Energy Agency reports that there are 450 nuclear power reactors in operation in 31 countries. Um, As I said, 20% of electric power in the United States is produced by nuclear power plants, uh, but 10% of the world's energy comes from nuclear power plants. Wow. It has the lowest environmental impact since it doesn't release any greenhouse gases, and an MIT study predicted that we could eliminate 25% of future carbon emissions with a threefold increase in worldwide nuclear electricity. Dang. And... Like we said in the quiz, the International Nuclear and Radiological Event Scale, the INES, was introduced to measure the magnitude of nuclear disasters from zero to seven. Zero is just like very insignificant problems, whereas level seven is like very significant (laughs)
1: problems. Yeah. Disasters, really. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Like big nuclear fallout. Um, Yeah. Throughout history, there have only been two level sevens, and we are going to be talking about those two incidents today Woo-hoo. let's just jump right into the first one let's talk about Chernobyl Paige take the take
1: the mic <laughs> hey Chernobyl I shouldn't be saying that so happy because it's quite devastating it really is
0: uh so like
1: right now there is that limited series on HBO literally called Chernobyl which does a much better job than I ever will of explaining any
0: of it. Don't tell people that page.
1: It's pretty amazing limited series. They do really good, especially considering that like the like main character is, is like this nuclear physicist who, um, in the end, like kills himself, but also like Spoiler. tells the truth about what really. Ooh. Uh, well, okay, it literally happens within the first fifteen seconds of the show. <laughs> so let's get some perspective,
0: people. It's not a spoiler. <laughs> I do have beef with the show, and it's so stupid. But everybody has a British accent, and this—it's so weird—is in the u it's so th- the Ukraine. It's in Ukraine. <laughs>
1: It's like in the USSR, like all of them are Soviets.
0: It's bizarre, but they all have English accents. It's strange. It's just the thing that they do. Like if you're a Nazi, you have an English accent. It's true. If you're evil, you have an English accent.
1: <laughs> or if you're smart. So like, honestly,
0: smart. <laughs> take it or leave
1: it. I, we don't know. <laughs> so I did Chernobyl um, and I'm going to explain it. Uh, but before I do, I just want to let you know that I got some of this information from a couple different sources. So if I'm wrong, blame
0: them. Which um, sources are they? <laughs> <laughs> just so I can ask <laughs> them, you know?
1: Okay, exactly. All so there's an all that's interesting, which I like. Just like the name of the platform, so that's why I picked clicked on it. Um, all that's interesting article by Marco Mer- Mar Margaret Mark. Ooh should have practiced this <laughs> Margaretoff. Um, margaret toff um and then i obviously looked at Wik- wikipedia because it's life yeah um and uh the history channel they did a documentary on chernobyl obviously um and they also had an article online lineup about it that i used i think i
0: need to make a donation to wikipedia
1: just <laughs> i know how
0: much i've used it for this right
1: I'm gonna. I'll start donating to Wikipedia when we start making money off of this. Ah,
0: fair enough. <laughs> just See, donate to our Patreon. Just kidding. We don't have a Patreon. <laughs> no, <laughs> yet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Anyways, so Chernobyl. Woo-hoo. So now that we realize how fully incapable I am of speaking to nuclear physics, I, uh, I, I, you know, want to give credit to. To the sources that I looked up, and you know, the HBO documentary because they essentially break it down in a, a way that us normal humans can kind of understand what happened at Chernobyl. Wait, it's not an HBO documentary, it's
0: no, a not a documentary, okay, it's cool. a limited
1: series. Good, she's right, my bad. <laughs> but they actually did do a podcast like with it for like every episode. Oh, that's cool, yeah. I didn't listen to it, but um, it was five parts. I ain't I nobody got time for that, no, which is why they're listening to this instead so on april 25th 1986 the largest nuclear disaster ever occurred uh now some may very very well say that the us's use of an atomic bomb on japan uh, which resulted in the deaths of two hundred twenty five thousand people was the largest disaster but that was an act of war and not an accident um so this definitely falls under more of the disaster category. So don't at me. Um, that's like my favorite thing to say on this podcast. And I don't know why. I've never said that
0: once in real life. We get very defensive. But we have not had really any <laughs> negative feedback. So this that's really so comes true. from a place like maybe we should talk to a therapist about why we feel so defensive. But
1: it's hey. so true. <laughs> it's so true. Um, <laughs> any the Chernobyl nuclear power plant was located in the northern part of the Ukraine near the city of, I'm going to really mess this up, so you're welcome, <laughs> pre, pre, propiet, propiet? Pripyat. Pripyat? Pripyat.
0: I don't know. I've, I've been watching the uh, HBO series, and I think they say Pripyat.
1: Pripyat? Okay. See, there's going to be another name in here that's not going to go well, fam.
0: (laughs) I mean, we have Russian-esque names, and we have Japanese names in this, so it's going (laughs) to go really well.
1: (laughs) It's just going to be a complete butchering of two languages, and we apologize. (laughs) So, anyways, it's located in the Ukraine. Chernobyl had four nuclear reactors generating power. These four reactors were a specific design that was only made in the USSR, that from the very beginning, lack certain safety mechanisms other countries, such as the United States, um, who had other had similar programs, uh, prioritized, including a functional emergency, emergency shutdown button or a concrete overhead designed to protect the outside from any accidental explosion. Um, so that's important to note when I go through this is that there are, uh, it's, you know, it's been quite some time there are additional safety precautions that have been you know milestones that have been met since then Mm. but um the usr literally gave zero fucks there were precautions back then that other countries took but they didn't care at all Mm -mm. (laughs) and honestly if you watch the hbo series there's like one part at the end when he's like finally explaining this and they ask why and he's like Because we're the USSR and it's cheaper this way, (laughs) Um, (laughs) which is so sad. (laughs) I mean, solid answer.
0: They're all about safety there. Exactly.
1: Uh, On a mild spring day, it was the lack of these mechanisms paired with gross incompetence and negligence that led to the estimated death of over 93,000 people and and lasting health defects on countless more. Uh, there are widely different numbers regarding the full death toll. Um, as of Russia's official party line for decades was 31, um, what including plant workers and first responders. But that has recently been amended with the United Nations to 4,000. Um, but like Greenpeace says, I can't remember their number. I think it was like 150,000. It's hard. I mean, those Greenpeace numbers are
0: definitely gonna be a little inflated.
1: But, right? And, like, it's, and it's Russia, too, though. So then, like, in Russia, they're obviously <laughs> going to down, like, their control, all of their information.
0: Right. Completely. So, like, somewhere in between is a good safe bet. It's just so hard with nuclear accidents because so many injuries, well, not necessarily injuries, but deaths and health risks and things like that don't show up until much later. So it's kind of hard to sort of pinpoint it to what the cause was. Exactly. So the 31 deaths that
1: they do cop to at the beginning... Are literally, like, two plant workers and then 29 first responders. Mm. Um, and then, but obviously, there's a massive amount of radiation that affect other people's health for decades to come. So how did this happen? <sighs> Woof. Tell me. Um, this is how I understand it on a very basic level. <laughs> on April 25th, in the early morning hours, Reactor 4's night shift team was instructed by a senior, USR, senior USSR official Antoli love <laughs> solid. Yep, <laughs> love That's what we're going with uh, to conduct a safety test for the first time. The test was essentially designed to simulate an electrical power outage and how these reactors would adjust to that power outage. This team was largely made up of young kids with no major nuclear physics background, which is exactly why they were working the night shift and largely responsible for just maintaining stabilization within the reactor. Now, in order to conduct this test, the reactor needed to be reduced to about half power. Uh, It's important to understand that the way the USR machines works, the lower the power, the less stable the reactor actually becomes. When the team sets on reducing power, again, in an exercise that was never completed or practiced beforehand, they reached a certain point and the power began to fall super quickly. Uh, After enacting a few safety protocols, they're able to hold the reactor's power at about 200 megawatts. Don't ask me what that means. I just know that number. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Now, the proper thing to do in these circumstances is to abandon the safety test and wait for the reactor to naturally rebuild power. Which can take several hours if not days however Ant- antoly diatlov again the man in charge of this exercise insisted on forcing the power up uh, by removing these stabilization rods located within the reactor again so they're called stabilization rods they're meant to stabilize the reactor um, but by removing them, you're actually creating additional reactivity, which is making your power go up, mm-hmm. in theory. So, again, by removing the rods, the power should increase, at which points the rods can be reinserted. But because the reactor has become unstable and essentially being poisoned from within, the removal of the rods only worsened the condition of the reactor without any real power boost. Again, Antoli Dyatlov <laughs> insists on pushing on, with the test, despite the lack of appropriate power necessary, which was 700 megawatts, the team presses on and soon they see that the now poisonous reactor is building power so quickly that it cannot be controlled. Before they know it, the react- reactor 4 has hit max power, like the max amount of power that can actually be recorded on the machinery, Ooh. but it's still growing power. So they have no idea what the actual max level of megawatts that the reactor hit before it exploded because the machine physically couldn't quantify it um so when they realize this is happening uh, in an effort to keep reactors safe there is allegedly an emergency emergency shutoff button located on each reactor however as we learned above the button was faulty in all usr nuclear power plants instead what when the button was yeah instead when the button was pressed by the now you know frantic testing team who have no idea what the fuck they're doing um it inserts every single one of the stabilization rods that had been taken out it inserts them all back in to the madness at once um, however these rods use graphite tips again because they were cheaper hmm. and these graphite tips instead uh they cause reactivity to increase before the stabilization rods take over. So when these rods were all inserted at once, it caused an explosion. So the first explosion was actually that of, like, pressure and steam that had been building up when as the reactivity grew. Mm-hmm. Um, but it surged the reactor's protective cover off, and now it has essentially exposed the reactor, and it becomes... It becomes a nuclear bomb. Um so once it is the reactor is exposed to oxygen, a massive fiery explosion occurs. Um, and extraordinarily honestly, it kills two plant workers immediately. um but again, that's just the beginning. So the two plant workers that were killed immediately were in close proximity to the reactor. Um, and so they're again counted in the death toll from the thirty one. But, uh, again, it just gets worse. So that's essentially how the accident happened. Again, it's just, like,
0: negligence.
1: Um,
0: and, and just putting, uh, like, children in charge of doing a safety procedure that has never been done before. Yeah,
1: and essentially there's theories that, like, they, these kids were never supposed to be the ones to be doing it. It was supposed to be, like, a more trained and seasoned team. But the experiment, the Antoli Diatlov guy... Wanted to get this done, and there was a certain um, window where he like, for different political reasons, needed to have it done. Um, so he like just decided to do it with the night squad, um, thinking like he was entirely too confident in his abilities to like understand what was happening. Um, and that's like one thing that's noted is that the these kids were constantly telling this guy that like this this was wrong, this wasn't going right, and he just kept telling them to press on and like this is this is like the USSR and. So, like, you know, you don't do what you're told by a government official, like, you're dead. It's like letting the medical intern perform open-heart surgery. Exactly. And um, a lot of these kids actually ended up dying thereafter, um, a very slow and horrible death of acute radiation poisoning. Um, so that's the disaster itself. I'm going to just sort of provide you with some, like, uh, aftermath facts. So... I'm not going to get into, you know, I could go into this for hours, but I'm just going to give you some quick facts of the aftermath that are just, like, important to know, and they're kind of shocking. There were many safety systems that were in place to prevent this disaster from ever happening, but they were actually manually turned off by the team in order to continue the experiment. Um, again, just to sort of further this this uh, nuclear physicist's agenda. Um, so it definitely was preventable, but they... Again, they, they turned off all of these these different safety protocols. Uh, Twenty eight workers and firefighters succumbed to acute radiation poisoning during the first few months of cleanup, and dozens, dozens other were badly sickened. Um, acute radiation poisoning is pretty much the most horrible thing that you can ever imagine.
0: Like it doesn't sound awful because you call it right. It's acute radiation right? poisoning. Acute, um, but on like uh,
1: it's pretty bad. Nope. <laughs> Yeah, uh, essentially you become, you're, you're oftentimes like burned in general. Like your your skin has become so, as absorbed so much radiation, you become violently ill. And then sometimes there's like sort of like a couple days of reprieve where you think you're fine. And then, then you're like, your skin begins to like eat itself. Oh. And, and, and then you die. Um, It can take days or it can take weeks <gasps> and they just have to sit there. I mean, this is like a USSR. You oh think they would have done some mercy killings, but whatever. God, yeah, really. So for days, the reactor was on fire without any coverage, which caused more and more radiation to seep into the air. It was seeping into the air and without like any stop in sight. But of course, you know, the Soviet authorities largely kept this away from their own citizens because they control the media and they control all information. Uh, they kept pretty much everybody in the dark, including people who like lived within close proximity. Oh, that's not good. Um, but on April twenty eighth, however, uh, Sweden there was their Swedish air monitors detected large amounts of radiation in the atmosphere that seemed to be coming from the USSR, and they alerted the rest of the world. And essentially, like once the West became aware, obviously it blew up because it's the USSR. Then they had to sort of come clean, but you know, only partially clean because they. They get to control their own information. So after a little bit of time, they sort of became more aware of what the aftermath of this this massive amount of radiation was going to be. Uh, and they realized that they needed to evacuate the immediate area. Um, so this actually displaced 300,000 people from their homes due to contamination.
0: Wow.
1: And so like 300,000 people were essentially picked up and moved and the areas that they were moved from they have never been able to return to because the contamination is still so so massive um after the fact there's been massive spikes in cancer rates uh numbers are really hotly contested because again it's the ussr they haven't really copped to a whole lot Mm -hmm. um but based on what you know some third party people have guess the largest jump is actually in childhood thyroid cancer, which is really sad, because mm-hmm. apparently our thyroids um, grasp onto radiation more than anything else.
0: That makes sense.
1: Yeah. Um. And then this is, like, what I thought was the weirdest shit. Chernobyl will not be even remotely inhabitable again for 20,000 years. 20,000 years? That's how much radiation <gasps> is, like, within the ground and the water and still in the air and, like, even just, like, in the materials, the oh there was God. a hospital that the Chernobyl, that, like, that. so essentially as soon as, like, the, the firefighters and the workers got to the hospital, this very smart nurse realized that their clothes were covered in this radiation and that they needed to take them off. So they took them off and they threw them in the basement of this hospital and their clothes are still there. And they, like, show just their clo- the little room with their clothes in it show, like, some of the biggest spikes in radiation in the region. Oh, my
0: God. Like, I can't even imagine how many people that explosion affected just on the first day. Like, I mean, the firefighters who showed up there. Uh, mm-hmm. like, like, having no idea. No like, they, idea. They thought it was just a fire on the roof. Yeah. Yeah, they're not trained for this. They have no idea. No idea. Mm-hmm. And then, like, you know, all the loved ones that they go home to afterwards – Mm-hmm. That they have all this radiation on them that they're unaware of. All the people mm-hmm. at the hospital, just trying to help and do their jobs, are exposed to all of this. It's like Ebola on a whole other level, you know? Right.
1: But it's like an unseen Ebola. It's not like it like takes hold. Like it just like silently lingers. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, this is what nineteen eighty-seven. Mm-hmm. I'm sure people back then knew the long-term effects of radiation and how it can become airborne and yeah exactly it's crazy
1: like it affected like it leaked into western europe and even parts of the east coast of the united states the radiation could be detected that far away wow it's not so that's chernobyl on a very basic level that was actually not that long i'm impressed yeah Thank you. I, I tried to I tried to keep it slightly manageable because I was like, Oh, I can go into the aftermath where essentially they had to use sacrificial soldiers to cover up the reactor um and they had to use sacrificial miners to build underneath the reactor so that it could essentially be
0: buried. So when you say sacrificial, like these people are going on suicide missions essentially.
1: Essentially they're going on suicide missions with most of them without knowing that's what they're doing.
0: Wow. Yep. I I can't even imagine that. I mean... Yeah. You know that somebody... Like the people giving them these jobs had to have known that they were sending these people on a suicide mission. And to not even tell them is just... Mm-hmm. Absolutely shocking. Yeah.
1: yeah, but it was, like, essentially it was very much of, like, the greater good scale. They're like, okay, well, we're probably going to lose a blank amount of people, but if we just let this bitch burn, it's going to kill. The radiation itself, it's only going to grow. It's going to start to affect the other... Because remember, there's three other reactors that are there that they also need to protect because if that thing blows again, it can affect the other reactors. And then if all four of them blow, um, the it was, like, the... It was going to be, like, catastrophic. So this is only one reactor. This is just one. This is just reactor four. Wow. Yep. So there's three additional reactors, which they actually, in real Soviet fashion, opened up a year and a half later. Man. And then these people just worked right next to this, like, horrible radiation, <sighs> open radiation sore no. for years. And then once the Ukraine became independent, quote, quote, of Russia they shut it down so
0: that's my happy story that's mind-blowing just the negligence yep. involved in that story mm-hmm. irks me so much all to
1: complete a safety test and have it checked off and they Russia very much did try to hide the fact that it was negligent and the fact that there were so many things wrong within the machine itself built by them that caused this uh, because again The Russians would much rather the Russians and like most nations, honestly, would much rather lie than seem deficient at
0: fault for something like that. Yeah. Especially like when you're one of the superpowers of the world, too. Exactly. Exactly. My God. That just that terrifies me. Nuclear anything has always just put the fear of God in me.
1: Yeah, right. And imagine like our, parent, our parents that were, you know, like alive during the Cold War mm-hmm. and were like hiding. They would do like those uh, duck and cover drills, you know, those nuclear drills where they'd hide underneath their desk yeah. with like, a book on their head, uh-huh,
0: <laughs> which, you know, I'm sure as we can all learn from your story on Chernobyl, 100% yeah. effective in keeping radiation radiation off of you.
1: Of course. It's all about the power of books, and don't you ever forget it.
0: And IKEA desks. (laughs) That too. Of course. Today's podcast (laughs) is brought to you by IKEA. (laughs) (laughs) Promo code. Interesting. Fake news. Anyway, I was actually kind of looking forward to hearing you talk about Chernobyl, because I really don't know a whole lot about it. I mean, I'm one episode deep into the Chernobyl series on HBO. I knew that it was nuclear fallout and that's about it I had no idea the extent of it yeah and like in researching Fukushima I think one thing that can be said in relation to Chernobyl is that that was such a catastrophic event that it really shaped the way that nuclear power plants were built and operated beyond that to just be safe you yeah. know, until
1: like the first accident happens, everyone can convince themselves that it's never going to happen. Right. Um, and then like once it becomes real, obviously like the world didn't like turn its back on nuclear power, but it they realize that like not only do you need qualified individuals operating these machines, but you also need proper machinery and, you know, people who can be trusted to be accountable for them. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, I can't can't do it, so respect to those people.
0: (laughs) The whole world would be on fire right now if you and I were in charge of any nuclear power (laughs) plant ever. I'm just putting it out there. (laughs) Talk about a disaster. Yes. So it's kind of shocking to me that both Chernobyl and Fukushima are level sevens on the disaster scale because in hearing about Chernobyl – fukushima was so much more contained it was they did i think they they learned about you know the sh- fucked up thing that happened at chernobyl i don't know when the plant was built so it could have they could have just been smarter about building the plant which is you know probably what happened it's mm-hmm, mm-hmm. insane anyway i'll just get into it get into it girl um i got the majority of my information from a Nova PBS documentary called "Nuclear Meltdown Disaster" and also Wikipedia because, duh. So, because duh. This has a lot of different parts to it. It's long, but it's interesting. So bear with me.
1: No, I'm here for it. I literally don't know anything about it except it happened after an earthquake. Question mark? Question mark?
0: Question mark. <laughs> well, you're right. <laughs> On Friday, March 11th, 2011. Japan was rocked by a catastrophic earthquake off the coast of Toh, off the coast of <laughs> Tohoku. It's actually not a hard one to say, but here we are. I like that one; it sounds very Hawaiian. Thank you. Two whiskeys deep, I'm feeling very into these Japanese pronunciations. Anyway, <laughs> nice. So Tohoku is north of Tokyo. This earthquake registered as a 9.0 on the Richter scale, making it the most powerful earthquake recorded in Japan and the fourth most powerful earthquake ever recorded in the world. Yes. Earthquakes, they generally last about one to two minutes, which can feel like a lifetime for people who are experiencing them. This earthquake lasted six fucking minutes.
1: That's a exceedingly amount. That's a long time for anything. Like imagine being in a 6 minute car accident. Ugh. Like
0: that's unreal. You just put that into a whole different perspective.
1: <laughs> right? I'm sorry.
0: It's I, but seriously, it's like all like all,
1: crashing, everything's just like coming around coming down
0: around you and it feels like a 6 minute car accident. The crazy thing about this too is that there's so much video footage of this earthquake and all the events that took place after just mm-hmm. from like CCTV, I mean people recording it on their camera they had six minutes to i mean i would be the first person to take out my phone and like (laughs) instagram story anyway um that's inappropriate so marked safe
1: at just kidding kidding. oh god yeah you fucking idiot i know you're safe you're in
0: kansas yes you're like golly yeah those things are kind of annoying kind of helpful sometimes but like Kind of annoying, yeah. I like having these cousins that live in
1: Nebraska, and it was flooding there. And it's like one of these my second cousins.
0: March safe in the
1: Nebraska floodings. I'm like, it is like six hours away from you. No <laughs> fucking shit, you're safe.
0: Oh, God. I, I mean, it can be helpful in certain situations. Like I remember after the Route 91 shooting. I had so yeah. many people reaching out to me to make sure I was okay, which I'm like, I'm on the other side of the world right now, so 100% I'm okay. So I, yeah. I get that, but at the same time, it, okay, this is going to sound so awful, and maybe I'll cut this.
1: I know what you're going to say. But I hate
0: when people use disasters, horrible events for attention.
1: It's So, aka, yes, this horrible event happened. I'm really happy to see your Instagram picture of you visiting there six years Oh, ago. my
0: God. I can't... It drives me crazy. I (laughs) talk to Mike about this all the time. Anytime something happens, the Notre Dame Cathedral burning was extremely sad. that was the worst one. I get it. It's an old building. There's a lot of significance, a lot of cultural significance behind it. The amount – my own father, like, the amount of people who posted pictures of them outside of the Notre Dame Cathedral, that's, like, that's one thing that's not, like, as horrible because it's them remembering the cathedral. But when, like, I don't know, a hurricane happens – And people are like, oh, like I was just there last year and it was so beautiful. Like, here's my model picture of me in a bikini on the
1: Key (laughs) West. Remember I was there. I hope East Jesus, Florida is (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
0: my God. Every time it happens, I refuse to like those pictures. That's my protest because that's all I can do.
1: (laughs) Same here, but you know what? We have a platform to complain about it, bitches. What
0: you gonna do about it? Yes, go ahead, at me, please do, (laughs) please do. Tell me, tell me the significance of your post of you in a bikini on the beach. Please.
1: We don't have anyone artsy enough that we listen to this that would do fan art, so I'm gonna do my own fan art where it literally just says, (laughs) "Yeah, come on, at (laughs) me,
0: at me." Says the most defensive podcast, unfamous podcast of all time. Yeah, the most defensive, unfamous podcast. That's gonna be a that's gonna be a shirt that you and I will wear because we're the only ones. Anyway. <laughs> Whatever.
1: Whatever. It's a marketing tool. Gorilla marketing
0: people get with it. Ooh. Into it. <laughs> okay. So um as we were talking about 20 minutes ago, um, Japan was rocked by a big <laughs> earthquake. So Less than an hour after the earthquake rattled the nation, Japan was then hit by a tsunami with waves reaching offshore heights of 133 feet and traveling 435 miles an hour. Jesus.
1: That's a wall of concrete at that you point. You
0: can't wrap your mind around that. And that's another no. thing that you can see videos of is the tsunami hitting, and it is nope. fucking terrifying. I'm going to nope on out of that. I hate those videos. Oh. <gasps> So you're just like yelling, you're like, the
1: water's going back into the ocean. Seek higher ground. But then there's always those people
0: who are like, oh, wow, this is so cool. I'm going to wow. go take a picture.
1: I know. And then, like, I don't want to say that like I would I like I know what it means. So I'd like to think I know to go higher ground. But if you didn't but, like, know what it meant, I would 100% exactly. see that bitch out there in a bikini. <laughs> 100% being like, wow, look at this. This is insane. I'd try to like do like a nice little sprint
0: down it. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. no shame to the people who have done that, um, Mm -hmm. but don't, just don't. Anyway, (laughs) so in total, this disaster killed over 19,575 people.
1: That's insane.
0: Yeah.
1: I can't imagine a natural disaster killing that many people in America, honestly.
0: It's insane. It is, and like, especially in a, like a first world nation too, where you have infrastructure, you, you're prepared for disasters on a huge level and it's still yep. killing almost 20,000 people. It's just, it's mind blowing. Yeah. And you have to, I mean, there are so many people per like square mile in the country of Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a small country, but there's a ton of people there. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, another contributing factor to this, but mm-hmm. um, let's backtrack for a minute because we are talking about nuclear disasters. So let's talk about the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant and how it operates, and I'm going to explain this in a way that's going to make me sound so much more intelligent than I actually am. (laughs) Let's see if I can do this in less than 60 seconds. So nuclear reactors are fueled by uranium, which is an element that naturally splits apart, releasing neutrons. When a nearby neutron fires into a uranium nucleus, it becomes unstable, and it splits again. So each time an atom splits, it generates heat and the generation of heat is what produces energy. So they want to ensure that the uranium does this reaction as often as possible. So in order to do this, after the uranium is mined, it is then enriched, formed into pellets, and then stacked into fuel rods. And this ensures a healthy chain reaction by keeping a lot of uranium close together. And in addition to these uranium rods, they also have control rods, kind of like what you explained in Chernobyl, and yeah, these
1: can—I call them stabilization rods. There you go. That
0: could be wrong. <laughs> That's just mm-hmm. the Ukrainian pronunciation. Um, exactly. So the control rods absorb the loose neutrons, so it basically stops the nuclear fusion from happening. And these rods can be moved in and out of the fuel to control the rate at which this happens. The end. Science class <laughs> over. Class dismissed? Yes, class dismissed. The professor has left the building. (laughs) All right. Over at the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant, things were generally okay after the earthquake, even though it was the fourth most powerful earthquake that ever was recorded. Uh, This plant, they, they thought about this in advance, and it was built with seismic sensors, so automatically these control rods would be inserted to stop the fission reaction. And uh, Mm. this actually has a name. It's called a scram. And Mm. there's a routine drill for this at power plants. So noted. Fukushima Daiichi has six reactors total, but only three were active at the time of the earthquake. So those three reported to have successfully scrammed shortly after the earthquake hit. Now, even though the nuclear chain reaction has come to a halt, the uranium is still extremely hot and needs to be cooled down. And that generally takes about 24 hours for the system to cool the uranium down to below 212 degrees. And that's what's called a cold shutdown. So, of course, all of this is accounted for when they built the plant as the most important aspect of nuclear energy is keeping it all contained. So after the Mm -hmm. uranium pellets are put into the rods, they're placed. This is just like how... okay. Backtrack. This is how they built the uh, the Fukushima Daiichi power plant. And just kind of like in contrast to Chernobyl, <laughs> here we go. So um, after all the uranium pellets are put into rods, they're placed underwater in steel pressure vessels. then those are surrounded by a concrete and steel structure. And then all of this is inside of a reactor building. So this is like having an IUD while being on birth control and still using a condom. It's like... (laughs) I like this metaphor
1: quite a bit. (laughs) Thank you. I'm just
0: trying to relate to our (laughs) listeners. (laughs) I like it. So it's like one layer of protection after the other. And ultimately, they're all in place in case the water stops flowing and the uranium needs to be contained. So what does happen if the water stops flowing? Well, Annika, I'm so glad you asked. Okay. <laughs> the water has to be continuously flowing. Otherwise, it's just stagnant in the tank. And then the heat of uranium will boil the water away, exposing the fuel, which then melts into a radioactive magma. And then Ooh. this magma will melt through the steel pressure vessel and onto the concrete structure surrounding it. So even after all this protection, you still end up pregnant. <laughs> okay. Okay. So back to post-earthquake Fukushima, the scram is complete, so now it's incredibly important that the electric water pumps and valves keep running in order for the core to safely cool down. The electric water pumps are powered by the electric grid, but after the earthquake, there was a massive blackout. So thankfully, there is a plan B. Because the plant has eight diesel electric generators to provide backup power in emergency situations. So everything is going according to plan. They have these backup generators to keep the water pumping, to keep the uranium cool. Just
1: one more condom. Everything's (laughs) great.
0: One more condom. (laughs) Then the tsunami warning came. And along with it, the prediction of 10-foot-high waves. So the main buildings at Fukushima are located 30 feet above sea level. So the threat of a tsunami wasn't that great in that area. Mm -hmm. But 25 minutes after the scram was complete, the first of seven giant waves make landfall and it was fucking nuts. So in this documentary, as I said, there's actual footage of Fukushima workers that are running up a hill and one is even heard yelling, hurry up, it's coming. The tsunami's going to catch you. Ah. And then you see it hit. So 10 foot waves, my ass. The tallest surge of water was nearly 50 feet high. And again, Fukushima, 30 feet above sea level. So Mm -hmm. this is over two times the height of the seawall. And in the documentary, you can see pictures of the Fukushima buildings just like filling up with water. And two workers were in the basement of uh, the number four turbine, ended up drowning
1: Oh, my gosh. That's a terrible way to go. That's so sad. that
0: uh-huh. just sounds so terrifying. Um, So, yeah. Remember those backup generators that are mm-hmm. cooling down the uranium since the earthquake caused a blackout? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, six of those bad boys are located in the basements of turbines one through four, and they are completely destroyed in the flood. No. Yeah. yeah completely destroyed. The other two are located higher up and remain dry, But all of their wiring is in the basement, so all of it is fried. So reactors one through four have gone completely dark. All lights are out. All of, like, the safety alarms that were blaring just completely stopped. Like, you couldn't even see your own hand in front of your face.
1: It's almost more scary because now you officially have no idea what's happening inside that reactor. You
0: have no idea. Absolutely no idea. And the thing is, is they have these i don't know what they're called they're they base, they're readers that tell you how much water is still in the nuclear reactors and you, uh-huh. you couldn't get a reading so you don't know how much time you have until the uranium is exposed because again if the water is just stagnant in these tanks and is not being pumped the water is going to overheat it's going to boil off and then uranium is exposed yeah so that's crazy yeah um this is called a station blackout And it's probably the worst phrase anyone ever wants to hear while they're working in nuclear energy.
1: So like, so a station blackout means besides, despite all of this, you are the dugger of nuclear reactors and you are pregnant. (laughs) Yeah. I've been sitting on that joke for at least five minutes, everyone. Oh my
0: God. Thank you so much for sharing. (laughs) Yep. Yep, yep. Just had to wait for the right moment. You're welcome. Please continue. <laughs> Hasn't listened to a thing I said in the past five minutes. Just, like, <laughs> no, also, I have to. Just repeating the joke over and over in her head. <laughs> Don't
1: forget it. Don't fuck this up. Don't fuck this
0: <laughs> up. <laughs> That's oh, good. All right. Mm-hmm. So 15 minutes after the tsunami hits, the Tokyo Electric Power Company, or TEPCO as it's called, which is the plant's operator. Um, they alert mm-hmm. the government, and they say, hey, we have a situation. And nobody had ever anticipated this scenario, and there was no manual on how to handle it. So they're all racing against time and could only guess what to do at this point. They tried to get generator trucks to like come bring more backup generators. But the damage from the earthquake and the tsunami made it a very slow process for the trucks to arrive. The electrical system was beyond repair, and once the generators did arrive, they couldn't even be connected. So they all ran out into the parking lot and began to raid all of the vehicles in the parking lot to get as many batteries as possible, which is why they're all engineers and I'm not, because like I was who literally going to say that. I was like, these are nuclear
1: engineers. Yeah. Just, <laughs> that is proof right there, because I would just sit
0: there and cry. I would. I mean, ah, it's over. <laughs>
1: Right. I'm like, Goodbye, what good world? <laughs> God.
0: Oh no. Okay. So it took them a few hours to figure out how to rig up the batteries, which they now say was a waste of valuable time. But six hours after the tsunami hit, they were able to connect the batteries to generators and got some instruments to turn on, and they could now see how much water remains in the reactors. So reactor one generally has water twenty feet above the uranium. But at this point, Mm -hmm. it was only eight inches above the uranium.
1: (laughs) I would be like, oh, it's almost better not to know.
0: No, no. (laughs) Did I just say eight inches? Psych. The pressure was actually so high in reactor one that it was giving a false reading. And the uranium had actually already Mm -hmm. been exposed for three hours. So yeah, reactor one was already in nuclear meltdown. Now comes the question, who do we evacuate? Tokyo is located 149 miles south of Fukushima and 50 million people live within that diameter. 50 million. It's pretty much
1: unevacuatable.
0: Un- right. Because even if, even if it was just this nuclear disaster, that's one yeah. thing trying to evacuate 50 million people. But the fact that this nation was just hit by a 9.0 earthquake and a tsunami, mm-hmm. what are you supposed to do? Yeah. It's insane. Prime Minister Nateo Khan said, if Tokyo needed to be evacuated, I feared the entire nation of Japan would be paralyzed by chaos for quite a long time. He's not wrong. <laughs> that evening, everyone located within just a two mile radius of Fukushima Daiichi were ordered to evacuate in order for radioactive steam from the plant to be vented. So they wanted to vent the steam to uh, release some of the pressure so that this wouldn't happen with any of the other because uh, there's four re- oh Well, there's six reactors. Three of them are yeah, are operating. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the next morning, the prime minister arrived in Fukushima. And so in order f- to vent the reactor, they needed to manually vent two valves, like manually open them. So one worker in the documentary said that he felt as they were putting together a suicide squad. To, like, go and open up these vents.
1: You know, it's funny. I mean, it's not funny. But in Chernobyl, essentially, like, after this meltdown, they needed to release the cold water in order to cool down the reactor from the bottom. Mm -hmm. And so they sent three divers in, sent three workers who would know how to do it. And they called them a suicide squad. Oh, wow. It's just it's a thing. Yeah, I know. Shitty
0: movie, but... The terrible movie. Come, Come on. on, Jared Leto. <laughs> I was so hyped for it too. They really. Me too. Like they they hyped up his character way too much.
1: Honestly, marketing team, a plus. You had the entire
0: world fooled. Mm-hmm. They did. Production team, you're trash. Um, uh, marketing team, if you want to do the marketing for our podcast, by all means, go right, right ahead. I will give you four dollars. <laughs> huh? <laughs> and a Snickers. Half a Snickers. I was hungry. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. So, uh, yeah, they have the suicide squad. One of the valves was opened, but the one below it was not because the workers aborted their mission since the radiation levels were too high and it would need to be done remotely. They figure out how to do this, and the valve is open and the pressure starts to drop. Let's go back to the uranium that is fueling these power plants. The uranium is encased in zirconium. And if that gets too warm, a chemical reaction between the zirconium and the water steam produces large Mm -hmm. amounts of hydrogen. So all the reactors are sealed with a dome top and that dome top can be removed for the sake of refueling the reactor. And the pressure in reactor one starts to build up so much that the dome on top of the reactor begins to lift. Hydrogen is escaping from this dome and goes into the building one and it's mixing with the air. And this gas is extremely flammable. So at 3 36 PM the following day, reactor one exploded. <sighs> yeah. Five workers are injured and their fresh water supply is scarce. But they successfully injected seawater into the reactors. The upside to this is that they prevented more meltdowns, but the downside is that seawater is very corrosive and would destroy the reactors completely. Going back to just nuclear energy in general and the pros and cons of it, one of the biggest benefits of nuclear energy is that it is very cheap to produce, but there's a huge, huge cost in building the reactors. So like Mm -hmm. the initial cost of nuclear energy is very high, but then once that is covered, then it becomes very cheap to produce electricity so um because this is like one of the biggest nuclear power plants in japan and in the world it's like you are causing catastrophic damage to it that is just beyond repair by putting seawater in it but you know you're also preventing a lot of deaths so Mm -hmm. you win some you lose some
1: Anyway. I mean, that's what we just talked about. with Chernobyl. noble. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta put in. You gotta put in the money if you want to make it safe. Uh huh.
0: So yeah, like I just said, the upside to this is they prevented more meltdowns by putting the seawater in. But the downside is that the seawater is very corrosive and do- destroy the reactors. So the Tepco mm-hmm. headquarters uh, tells the superintendent over at Fukushima. His name is Yoshida. Um, to stop putting seawater into it, and they need to seek government approval. So during a video conference, Yoshida tells the workers they need to stop seawater injection. But Okay, and they're just over here like, we're just trying to keep everybody alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's exactly it. And that's how Yoshida saw it too. So before he had this phone call, like the video conference, he pulled all of his workers in and he said just so you know, I'm going to tell you to stop putting the seawater in, but ignore it. It's just for show. I want yeah. you to keep putting seawater in. So that's exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. The video conference happens. Yoshida says, like, stop putting in the seawater. And just to make the government believe that that's what they're doing, when in reality, they still yeah. are putting in the seawater. Um, yeah.
1: He's like, you fucking idiot politicians. You literally don't know dick about they this. They don't. Don't tell me
0: what to do. <laughs> um, Prime Minister Khan has said, though, that he believed Yoshida did make the right decision and that it would have been a lot worse had they stopped the seawater injection. So at least Thanks. we've come. We've come around. Exactly. <laughs> but now, on day three, reactor three started to become unstable. By Sunday morning, they are unable to open the valves. The core is exposed and meltdown has started. Yoshida orders the workers to retreat to the emergency response center out of fear of another explosion. The pressure began to plateau and the order was lifted. Um, So they had about 50 people positioned around Reactor 3 and out of nowhere the explosion happened. So like, yeah. Miraculously, only 11 workers were injured in the explosion and no one died. Wow. So once everybody was accounted for, they noticed that the water level in Reactor 2 was beginning to drop. So early the next morning, they hear an explosion, which everyone believed to have been the inevitable demise of Reactor 2. But they were surprised Mm. to see it was Reactor 4, which was shut down for maintenance. Like The only ones that were in operation were 1 through 3. So they're like, we weren't even supposed to be worrying about this asshole. Exactly. And this motherfucker just went and blew her shit up. So here we are. (laughs) Went and blew her lid. (laughs) 650 workers were immediately evacuated while Yoshida – I think I called him Yoshida earlier. I think it's Yoshida. I don't know. Jury's out. But (laughs) Yoshida and other supervisors would stay behind. By day five, the evacuation order has now been lifted and workers start to come back. And now the worry is shifted to the spent fuel pools that sit in these pools of water that are high up in the reactor buildings – and the pools hold all of their uranium, both spent and new. And there's millions of uranium pellets throughout the four reactors. And they're literally just sitting at a bottom of a pool of water that doesn't have any pumps. So if the water goes dry, they can catch fire, which would release a catastrophic amount of radiation. Yeah. If this happens, then there would need to be a mandatory evacuation for everyone 150 miles away from the plant, which includes Tokyo, (laughs) which would then be unhabitable for decades. I mean, what did you say for Chernobyl? Like, that's going to be unhabitable for 20,000 years. Could you imagine if that was Tokyo? with 50 million people. I mean, poor
1: Japan doesn't have all that much land to get. They really don't. You can't just take away Tokyo. I mean, that's why they've mastered growing up instead of out. Yeah.
0: The fuel pool in Building 3, where the biggest explosion was, appears to be boiling away. So they bring in helicopters to dump seawater on it, but they can't get close enough because of the radiation. They then bring in a team of firefighters who specialize in high rises, because as you say, Tokyo builds up, not out. Um, <laughs> and full circle, full circle, and they're able to get the pool filled. So shout out to these guys, yeah, stand up dudes, and maybe some females too. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be sexist. Anyway. so power is fully restored to the plant 10 days later on march 21st Uh, reactor 2 did not explode because the reactor one explosion ended up knocking out a door at reactor 2 and that allowed the hydrogen and radiation to escape so it like took the pressure off but at the same time the wind shifted towards the land and it sent high concentrations of radiation to the northwest and that fallout will linger for decades. It's uninhabitable now. And a lot of people. Wow, peop- how much
1: land? Do you know how much land
0: that I is? I do not. Sorry. I
1: mean, you should be, but
0: it's <laughs> fine. So the six workers that went into the reactor buildings to go open up the vent valves had the most exposure to radiation. And they ended up getting almost double the amount of exposure than the limit in emergency situations. And so that has greatly increased their cancer risk um mm-hmm. fukushima Daiichi was one of the largest nuclear power plants in the world and quickly became one of the most expensive and complex cleanup projects ever attempted in history it could take up to 40 years to get it all contained and out of control and at the time of this documentary they said that it would require equipment that has not yet been invented so that was a few years ago um i'm sure they've made significant improvements in the past few years so um yeah don't know if that still stands true but it's just kind of crazy to think about that when you're faced with a huge cleanup project like this and you're like we don't even have the means to clean this up yet we have to invent it so whereas chernobyl was encased in a tomb and then circled by a fence and abandoned they are determined to clean up fukushima and make the area habitable again So, in Japan's culture, the sins of a company are the sins of its workers. So, they have a very – well, they have very personal reasons to want to make amends. And Mm -hmm. even though they did the absolute best they could, there is just so much more social responsibility within their culture, but also in this disaster in comparison to Chernobyl. So – it's kind of heartbreaking, like, how much of this disaster they put on themselves. Um, when in reality, this could have been so much worse if they hadn't been such yeah. forward-thinking people.
1: And it's like the very, like, the very high
0: epicenter of it is an earthquake. Right. Like, I mean, there are some things that TEPCO could have done differently, which I'll get into in a second. But mm-hmm. for the majority of the workers there, they had no – like, none of that responsibility really fell onto them. So it's yeah. kind of like they absorb this responsibility that they really had nothing to do with to begin with when it should have just been higher-up employees at TEPCO that should have taken responsibility, which they have, but, you mm-hmm. know, there's only so much you could do. Um, yeah. The documentary was interviewing one of the workers and – um this is a quote from him that just broke my heart. Uh, he said, "There's nothing to be proud of. Most of the plant workers were born and raised here. They wanted protect. They wanted to protect their hometown, protect their families. Reality is, tens of thousands of people are still under evacuation, and we're the ones that caused that. By no means are we heroes." Aww,
1: he was crying. That's so sad. Yeah. Oh my gosh,
0: that's so sad. Um. Personally, like the little research that I did on this, I do think the workers did as much as they could in that circumstance. Uh, But like I said, TEPCO did ignore some things. So we'll go over that. Uh, There were two different Mm -hmm. tsunami studies that were pretty significant. One in the year 2000 and another in 2008. The study in 2000 was based on the possibility of a 50-foot tsunami and the risks discussed in the study were not announced because, quote, announcing information about uncertain risks would create anxiety. (laughs) Uh, What? I mean, I respect the commitment to mental health, I suppose, but dude. Like, this is not just something you pop a Xanax for. Like, no. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Yeah, so then eight years later, uh, there was an in-house study that stated there was an immediate need to protect the plant from seawater flooding in the event of a 33-foot-tall tsunami. And TEPCO headquarters stated that prediction was unrealistic and they did not take it seriously. So we all know where that led to. So let's talk contamination real quick. The Japanese Nuclear and Industrial Safety Agency reported that radiation levels were 1,000 times the normal limit inside the plant and eight times the normal limit outside of the plant. 154,000 people were evacuated, and uh, most of those people have not been able to return to their homes. Radioactive material. I know, it's so sad. Um, Radioactive material was showing up in food production, such as spinach, tea leaves, beef, milk and fish. Uh, by 2012, radiation was no longer detected in food. Nice. In August of 2011, they were able to calculate the amount of radiation released into the air from the Fukushima meltdown, and it came to be mm-hmm. about 11% of Chernobyl's emissions. <laughs>
1: That's so insane. Uh, yeah,
0: just like... It, it. So much of this comes down to uh, like safety precautions, how this plant was built... Um, it's yeah it's insane. I mean it's like 30
1: years or not quite like 25 years in the future everyone's like learned a little bit of a lesson but yeah. still that's impressive and also I mean just
0: looking at the governments of each nation and uh just like standards when it comes to this there's exactly you know, I think Japan has a, a little bit better of a reputation uh when it comes exactly. to safety um yep so all of the reactors were in concrete containment vessels, which helped prevent it from becoming a full-blown Chernobyl disaster. Uh, the majority of the contamination, though, was in the water, and both in the ocean and tap water. So Fukushima, Tochigi, Gunma, Tokyo, Chiba, Saitama, and Niigata. Wow, woo, all had reports. Ooh,
1: did you, are you sweating? I, yeah. Woo.
0: I think it's some burn up in here. <laughs> All of these potentially made-up <laughs> countries... <laughs> oh, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> All these potentially made-up cities I just listed off um, had hmm. reports of radiation in their tap water. And in 2015, Tokyo's tap water contamination levels were still higher than other Japanese cities. But not in, hmm. like, dangerous levels, just higher so if you've like been to Japan in the past like few years you're not gonna get cancer I don't think yeah allegedly <laughs> anyway yeah but I also like
1: want to know what that water tastes like tasted diesel-y tastes like, Taste diesel. like
0: diesel oh, God. <laughs> I, I think it was t- okay yeah it was when I was texting you the other day I forget what the conversation was about but you said something to me and my report reply was something like it's my dream and it just like made me think of that scene from transformers (laughs) it's "It's my dream i try i just forgot (laughs) do you want those new teeth from skyball (laughs) and i tried so hard to find a gif of it to send you but it just does not exist so
1: there are dramatic lack of gifs out there that are like for scenes that I want. Obviously as mentioned earlier, I remember weird ass <laughs> lines, but that would definitely
0: be one of them. That's my dream. <laughs> so good. Anyways, uh, Yeah. So the coast of Fukushima has some of the world's strongest currents. So a lot of the radiation dispersed within the Pacific Ocean. So <laughs> the Which like is bad, but also kind of good at the same time. It like kind of dilutes it. Um, the effect of radiation on marine life is fairly weak. There's a persistently high level of contamination off the coast of Fukushima since radioactive material is still being transported out to sea and the surface water mm-hmm. runs over contaminated soil. Mm-hmm. Still, radiation risks are low to humans and animals. And uh, it's say fun fact, but not really fun. Uh, some radioactive fish were found off the coast of California and... Trace amounts of radiation were even found in wine grown in Napa. So that's why that Napa drunk is just a little different.
1: (laughs) Somebody needs to make a wine out there and just call it like radiation station. Yes. Or like
0: (laughs) three bottles of this will turn you into a superhero. (laughs) That's how you sell wine to me. spiders (laughs) spiders <laughs> right it's like it's a terrible thing to joke about because a lot of people have been horribly affected by radiation um yep. sorry but spider-man come on like
1: i know it was his, so spider-man's allowed to get bit by a radioactive spider but i'm not allowed to say radio radiation station <laughs> <laughs> this doesn't seem fair does not up doesn't add up. All right, guys.
0: Um, those are our lovely nuclear fallout stories for you. Um, yeah. Be careful out there in this world. <laughs> <laughs> um, we did ask you guys for stories, for disaster stories. And uh, like we said, you probably wouldn't have any nuclear disaster stories. And boy, were we right. So... <laughs> We do have some some funny, just general disaster stories for you. Uh, We'll just—it's a long episode, so we're just gonna read one. Each of us will read one. Yeah, hold on. Okay,
1: I'm going to the
0: top. top. Rising to the top. Okay,
1: so this one is from an anonymous user. (laughs) Are we really gonna (laughs)
0: keep him anonymous?
1: (laughs) No, this is from (laughs) JJ.
0: Hey JJ, he's six foot.
1: He's six foot eight.
0: You can't miss he him. You can't. So, oh. anytime you see anybody like just over six foot five, just imagine the story happening to them, and it just makes it better. Exactly.
1: It's like imagine this, like it being like an NBA player, really.
0: <laughs> okay. So it says my
1: disaster. story. senior year of college, I had two research papers due the next day. One was a fifteen-page paper being worth about 40% of my grade, and the other was a 10-page paper. I opened up my computer so I could print them out so I could get my get my well-deserved A's, JK, C plus work, at best. <laughs> <laughs> when I went to open up my computer, it crashed, losing both papers and all of my work from the other classes. My roommate drove me to the Apple store since I did not have access to my car, and upon arrival, the Apple nerd... <laughs>
0: He's still bitter about it. (laughs) Right. And upon
1: arrival, the Apple nerd who greeted me said, do you have a genius appointment? I did not have a genius (laughs) appointment. I explained what happened and the employee told me that I couldn't be helped without a genius appointment. And their earliest availability was the next day. This was not an option for me as I had to turn one of these in at 9 a.m. the next day. Being scared, frustrated, and angry, I started to cry because I would fail this class if I did not turn this paper in on time. Let me paint you a picture. (laughs) I am a very tall man crying my ass off in front of a very small Apple nerd and a very crowded Apple store, creating a massive scene all in front of my roommate who would never let me live (laughs) it down and would also tell everyone... Which she did. <laughs> I created such a massive scene that they got me a genius person who found a version saved from two weeks earlier. Long story short, I cried in an Apple store, which resulted in barely passing two classes my senior year of college.
0: <laughs> and look at you now, JJ. You're thriving. Look at you now. You got that piece of paper. Sure did. Woo. All right. Thank you so much, JJ. That was phenomenal. Mm-hmm
1: i mm-hmm. loved
0: reliving that. <laughs> Annika
1: is the uh, aforementioned roommate.
0: I d- I wasn't the one who drove him. Who drove him? Oh, I thought it was I you. I thought it was <laughs> you. It <said> she. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't me. I, I think it was Robbie. Maybe he just put she and he meant he. Uh, so this one is from Anonymous. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's a honeymoon story. Yay. Those are my favorite. <laughs> and it's it's like a second party telling. It's not the actual person. So uh, here we go. Mm-hmm. Going on a honeymoon, a girl decided to take X-lax for that extra flat tummy look. Which I just want to pause and say, like, no. no. Horrible idea from the get-go.
1: No, you're going on your honeymoon. You really want to be worried about
0: having to poop all the yeah, time? Yeah, that is not how honeymoons should work. No. Oh, and like... This is the person that you married. Like, if you have a little bit of bloat from, like, you're drinking too much at your wedding or just, like, eating a lot on your honeymoon, who gives a shit? They still love you. They still married you. Anyway, <laughs> right? rant over. That's the hunt <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, bad decision one. Took X lax The first night there, they didn't seem to kick in, so she proceeded to go on with her night getting wasted as fuck. The next thing she remembers is her new husband waking her up, telling her to get in the shower. To her horror, she looked down and realized that she was laying in a pile of her own shit. She got in the shower. <laughs> yeah. Whew. She got in the shower as her new husband bundled up the sheets and put them, of all places, outside of the door. If only. No! <laughs> yeah. If only there was footage of who had to find this disaster. Anyway. No. Uh, That was nice and short. Thank you so much listener for submitting that yeah that's quite the honeymoon disaster i mean i thought i had a honeymoon disaster with that's true you did have a (laughs) disaster which i have talked about a little bit before on this podcast about my flight getting canceled (laughs) while i was on it on ambien but that's nothing in comparison to this so
1: no 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 I feel like, like, just as we said earlier, I mean, I guess at least at that point, if this is going to happen to you, maybe it's best that it happened to you on your honeymoon because you're married.
0: He's in. Yeah, I think it'd be so much worse if it was, like, a one-night stand or, like, just someone that you're casually oh, seeing. so bad.
1: Just knowing that you're somebody's, like, locker room story for the rest of your oh, life. Oh, yeah.
0: Like, if that's your husband, he's not going to want to tell anybody that. But if it's your one-night stand, he's telling everybody. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh no, it's funny. So, you could learn anything
0: from this podcast. It's one, don't play with radiation. <laughs> and number two, don't take X LAX on your honeymoon. And
1: uh save everything in the cloud.
0: Yeah. It's it's your friend, guys, okay? <laughs>
1: Yeah, Google Drive is your friend unless you're collecting child pornography, in which case, burn in hell. Burn in
0: hell, first of all, and second, sure, go ahead, put it in the cloud. I hope you get caught, Jared.
1: (laughs) Fucking (laughs) idiot. All right, and as for next week, our, you know, listener engagement task. Um, So our next episode is going to be on PR, that's public relations for those of you who don't know, Uh, PR blenders. So, you know, um, I don't even I can't even think of any besides my own right now.
0: Um, Um. The first one that comes to mind is, oh, God, Malaysian Airlines. It was like, oh, yeah, it was maybe a year or so after uh, their plane disappeared, and mm-hmm. they're, like, really struggling to try to get passengers. And so they, like, sent out this tweet. And it was like, what What are your, like, bucket list travel destinations? Or something like that. And just, like, the fact mm-hmm. that they're <laughs> calling it, like, bucket list travel. Bucket list. Just, just <laughs> no forethought there. Not at all. So they're just going to be yeah. fun stories. Like, you don't have to be into PR or anything like that. It's just, like, no. fun stories about companies just – companies totally fucking up so yep uh yeah yep Yep. if you want to send us your work blunders, that would be really fun
1: yeah so send us your work blunders. i know annika and i both have a couple Mm -hmm. um so yeah just get ready to relish in other people's embarrassment yeah for sure yeah after all these heavy episodes you know like between drugs and Nuclear meltdowns.
0: Uh, Yeah. Suicide. Last one. Suicide. Yeah. (laughs) It's just just not a pretty, pretty world out there. So if your work blender has to do with any kind of nuclear meltdown, please do not send it to us. You should have sent it to us for this episode, (laughs) and you sucked. So here we are, getting defensive with you again. But whatever.
1: I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you, Antoli, Diprotiv, or whatever the fuck your name is. That's your work blunder.
0: Somebody's going to go out there and create an account with that name and give us a one star rating.
1: <laughs> Honestly, haters make me famous.
0: <laughs> okay, Kanye. <laughs> I can't be managed. <laughs> and with that, that is our episode for you on nuclear Meltdowns. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah. And as always. Keep it interesting. Love you, people. Fuck! I literally just stubbed my toe.
1: Bye. (laughs)